0: This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone, and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit kfuo.org and click on the Donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere.
1: where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, April 18th, we are studying Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. At early dawn on the first day of the week, the women go to the tomb with spices that they don't end up needing, because Jesus has risen, just as he told them. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Linnell. Pastor Linnell serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. It is always a, a privilege and a joy.
1: And on this Easter Monday, we greet each other. Hallelujah. Christ is risen.
2: He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Is it is it hallelujah or hallelujah?
1: I don't Which know. I think it depends if you're speaking Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> hallelujah is Greek, hallelujah is Hebrew either way, praise the Lord because Christ is risen, that is the text we've got for today, Pastor Linnell, the account of our Lord's resurrection from St. Luke so give us some context, what should we know as we look at Luke's account of the resurrection what do we know about the context he set for us today
2: oh my goodness when when we're talking about Luke and especially as we get to, to 24 it depends on really how much time we want to spend how much effort we want to put into talking about the, the structure of Luke and also Luke and Acts. If we spend, you know, too much time sort of talking about that, I think we can get lost a little bit in something that seems perhaps like academia, but, but it is kind of important. And it's important because Luke did this intentionally. Luke was a a brilliant writer and the gospels are so much more than literature but there's certainly not less. And so Luke is is a two volume work with the book of Acts. And Luke itself as a gospel really hinges on Luke 9 with the transfiguration and Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem. That's that's sort of the hinge point, the turning point in the gospel. But the gospel itself climaxes here, climaxes with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And now at the same time, Luke 24 then as a whole, serves as as a pivot, a hinge for the two-volume work that is Luke and Acts in a similar way that 9 does just for for Luke. And so uh, Dr. Justin, his commentary in Luke from the Concordia Commentary Series, he lays out Luke 24 actually as sort of an inverse in structure to Luke 9, mm. which uh, Luke 9 sort of begins with the sending out of the disciples and then ends with sort of this dazzling transfiguration. And then he kind of points out that in, in Luke 24, it begins with the resurrection and then these, these dazzling angels, these dazzling you know, men, and then ends with the sending out of the apostles. Now, again, you can either, you can agree with Dr. Just and his inverse chiastic Lucan structure or not. You might have no idea what I just said, but the, again, the point is, is that Luke, Luke 24 is important. It's important on its own, and it's important for the change that happens between the disciples in the Gospels and them becoming the Apostles in Acts. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Luke 24 itself is really broken into sort of three parts or three resurrection stories. Uh, this one with the women, and then the next one with the disciples, uh, the Emmaus disciples, and then when Jesus appears to the disciples in full in in Jerusalem. Um, these three accounts, they, they sort of build on each other. They progress a little bit in the things uh, to which they appeal for faith in the resurrection. Because what we'll see today is that with the women, the angels appeal appeal to Jesus' words, the, the things that Jesus had said and taught about himself. And then tomorrow, with the Emmaus disciples, Jesus himself appears, albeit incognito, and appeals to the law and the prophets. And then in the following day right with the last appearance of jesus he is there with them revealed and he appeals to the law and the prophets and the psalms and then he he again opens their minds and then sends them out in faith so there is this progression but today today we have this this first account this first announcement of the resurrection to these women
1: You and I were talking before we started this conversation, Pastor Linnell, about the connection to the previous chapter, and there are several commentators, Dr. Just being one of them, who connect the last part of verse— 56 from chapter 23 which says on the sabbath they rested according to the commandment they connect that to actually chapter 24 and suggest that really the the break belongs there even in the the esv i'm looking at the lutheran study bible right now there is a paragraph that actually starts there in the middle of that verse as if you're meant to read that with chapter 24 what is the importance of the the timeline that luke is giving us here at the end of chapter 23 and in into our text for today
2: it's sort of an interesting deal, right? Because the 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 chapters and the verses that we have, like that's not put in there by Luke. And those things aren't bad. Those those are important for us to be able to navigate. And the people that put them in, generally speaking, did put some thought into that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just random. But we're not we're not bound by those number and verse headings as if they had any sort of authority regarding where thoughts ended or began or themes continued. Sometimes it matches up pretty well. And sometimes it doesn't. And so one of the things that we want to be at least aware of is whether or not we are creating a break sort of mentally where there isn't one in the text. And so if you look at, excuse me, Luke 23, sort of, you know, after Jesus, after Jesus dies, where he's, he's buried, then we start to this, this topic, this conversation about the women, right? The, the women who had come, so this is uh, 23, verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices and they prepared and went to the tomb. There really isn't anything in the text itself that indicates a a, a break. Like it's supposed to continue to flow. Mm. And so if you if you put a break there, like a mental break, then you you miss the fact that Luke points out the Sabbath. And Luke is really the only one that does. Um, everybody else just assumes that you know. I mean, they've talked about it before, but why why did the women wait? They went home and they prepared the spices and the perfumes. Why didn't they go? What did they do? Well, what they were doing is they were resting on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And what this does, what this lets you know, not only is you know what they were doing, but it also indicates to you their frame of mind that they are still very much and not inappropriately so but they're still very much thinking of things in terms of the previous covenant and they're thinking of the promises in terms of the previous covenant and so when they come to you know to serve Jesus to you know when they come to the tomb it reveals a little bit about their mindset it also reveals a little bit about how Luke is thinking of things in terms of as you mentioned the timeline because Luke Luke never says, um, after three days, he says on the third day. And you might say, well, isn't that the same thing? And sure they're referring to the same objective reality of, you know, being on the third day or, you know, after three days, but the difference between cardinal and ordinal numbers in this regard indicates a way of thinking about in Luke and his text, that these, these days are important. What do they mean? you know on the on the third day on the first day of the week well what is what is the first day of the second week maybe that's maybe that's maybe that question is a little too complicated how many days are in a week seven so what is the first day of the second week
1: that would be day 8
2: right and so, this idea of the eighth day, the first day of a new week, the first day of a new creation, and then since Luke, by the way, is going to be writing Acts, what we see in Acts is um, the the disciples start worshiping on the Lord's day and holding their the worship and, you know, and and gatherings on the Lord's day, which would be this you know Sunday, as opposed to the traditional Sabbath day that the Jews would would observe why does that transition happen? Well, it happens because they're celebrating right on the the day of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that whole thought process begins here. Instead of resting on the end of the first creation, they celebrate at the beginning of a new creation. And so, again, if if you pay too close attention to the chapter and the number headings then you just you sort of skip right over that it gets lost at the end of a chapter that really is focusing on the death of jesus and and it gets skipped in the beginning of a new chapter that is is presenting something new
1: so it, just to make sure that, that we're, we're clear on this, or to make sure I'm following it too, the, the importance of seeing this and the way the timeline works then is that when, when Luke you know talks about the Sabbath there at the end of 56, and then says the first day of the week, and, and as you said, that becomes day one of week two, which is the eighth day, all of this... Is a way of inviting us to see in Jesus' resurrection the start of a new creation and 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 even then the transition from the, as you said, the old covenant way of thinking that the women and even, you know, the disciples we're gonna see later in this chapter, they're all thinking in those terms. Jesus is giving them something new, a new creation, new covenant. Is that the the importance of recognizing this timeline?
2: Yes, it is. And it adds context to the way that we practice and worship and meet in God's house as Christians today. Hmm.
1: What, what's some of that context as it applies today? Give Give us some of that.
2: Oh, well, I mean, because there are other Christian denominations that, you know, they talk about, well, you know, uh, we, we have – so Seventh-day Adventists, I think it is, right? You, you have to worship on Sabbath or something because that's that's the way in, that they used to worship and, and the like. Um, and certainly we don't follow uh, a strict Sabbath in that regard where you you have to have church on sunday i mean there are some people that worship saturday night and my my goal here is not to try to imply that people who go to worship or go to you know the divine service on saturday night aren't somehow unfaithful that's that's not the point there but the point is is why do we set aside sunday as that day why why has that been the case what does it indicate for us as far as you know a a, a lifestyle that um is a bit cyclical, right? We, we build our Christian life on patterns. There's you, you go to sleep and you wake up and each night when you go to sleep, you pray and you prepare to die so that as you prepare to die, you can, you can do that like you're preparing for sleep. And then you do that with the full expectation and hope that you're going to rise in the morning with the light. And then, so you, you rise to a new day where your sins have been forgiven and you are new in christ and you and you go out and you you face the world this way we have this weekly cycle where you you begin in worship on sunday and you begin with the you know the lord's supper and we're we're celebrating the resurrection of our lord even in the midst of lent right because they are they are sundays in lent but not of lent right and so technically if you are fasting during lent sundays don't count after communion and so, you know, there's there's that whole cycle, this weekly cycle. And again, the cycle built on renewal and new life and forgiveness and, you know, Christ's resurrection. And then we we have our, our annual uh, church year or cycle. And, and then our whole lives are seen that way, where you are born and you live and you're born again if you will and then you go and you die but we're looking forward to the resurrection and then all of creation follows this cycle and so with those patterns and those those layers everything is reinforcing God's plan God's message of salvation his work of resurrection life forgiveness in Christ Jesus and everything is consistent and and reinforces that if of course we're you know i guess fortunate enough to see it mm.
1: What you're talking here reminds me of in the, in the old Testament in the book of Exodus, when the Lord gives instructions concerning the Passover, the Passover marks time for them. That becomes the first month for them. That's where they, they mark their time. And it, it seems like the same thing happens. And I, I don't know that I don't want to suggest too much about what Luke is doing, but it certainly is the way that the church marks time as you're describing it. And even with Luke and his emphasis on the Passover in chapter 22, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that something similar is happening. Here is the new way that Christians mark time. It's it's not based on the deliverance that happened from Egypt in the Old Testament, but it's based on this exodus that our Lord has accomplished. And now here is the first day of the week. Here is the way that you mark your time as a Christian. It's based on the Lord's resurrection. And all that it means for you, and I, I definitely think, as you're saying, the the rhythm of the Christian life in in weekly worship and in the the church year certainly picks up on that. That how do we mark our time? It is based on what the Lord has done in His particular in His resurrection on that first day of the week.
2: That's that's absolutely right, and you're bringing up the bringing up the Passover is a, is a really important thing as well, because even though that's not our text for today, what we see. Is in the road to Emmaus this this meal, which is uh, yeah. really obviously uh, referencing the the Last Supper, and the Last Supper is the fulfillment of Passover. And I'm I'm not terribly fond of uh, terms of like replacement, right? While well, baptism replaces circumcision, or the Lord's Supper replaces Passover, or you know, or something like that, um, or even that. Worship on the Lord's Day replaces Sabbath worship, but it is the fulfillment of those things. It was always meant to be that way. And when you take a look at Sabbath and why Sabbath was established, like Sabbath was established in the beginning in, in creation that, that God rested. And and it's because of that that it's it's marked as holy. And it's it's almost as if, again, God's plan was always this. It was, it was always that. Um, and Luke, Luke, sort of uniquely then, as a gospel, follows the lineage of Jesus, not back to Abraham, but to Adam, all the way back to a new creation. He's recapitulating the entirety of existence up until that point, redeeming it and making it what it always was meant to be the fulfillment of everything from the beginning and even in the beginning as we were created in God's image and and I think sometimes we talk about that we we get caught up in sort of an academic discussion what does it mean to be created in God's image and likeness As if that is some inherent or innate quality or ability that God gave us that he didn't give anything else and I really think that's the wrong way to do that well is it Is it free will, or is it reason, or is it love, or is it whatever? Mm, That puts the focus on us. Being created in God's image and likeness means more than anything else that we were created to be in a relationship with God that no other creature has, not even the angels in heaven. We were created to be his children, and not, not just children, but to be sons of God to take the relationship, to to live in the relationship that the Son eternally has with the Father. And so, if that, again, from the fulfillment and from the very beginning, Jesus coming and doing the things that he does is the fulfillment of, of what that original creation was, that we would be in his image and likeness. And now that image and likeness is given and restored to us in baptism as we partake in his death and and in his resurrection, it's found in the meal. And so then we celebrate on this, this first day of a new creation as the fulfillment of what God was doing from the very beginning.
1: Let's, with that context then, let's take a look at the text from Luke 24, beginning at the first verse. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise And he went home marveling at what had happened. That's our text for today. That's Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. Pastor Lanell, you mentioned already that the women are in an old covenant frame of mind. They take these spices thinking that they're going to anoint the body, which is, as we know, is is not actually there. Uh, Talk a little bit more about what's going on with these women, what they believe, what they're missing as well.
2: Right. We know that the body's not there, but the women the women didn't. And perhaps they should have, but they didn't quite get it. And this is one of those things with the women. These are obviously faithful women who love Jesus, but that, that doesn't mean that they're right. Um, a lot of times um, when I'll talk about or people talk about altar guild and I look for um, stories in the Bible that represent altar guild. The first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is uh, Mary and Martha, uh, and then I and then I have to very delicately remind them that Martha is not the hero of that story. And so, <laughs> what other sort of story in the Bible might? Uh, what other women in the Bible might more appropriately represent altar guild? And uh, I think I think these women, um, also perhaps the the women who anointed. Jesus uh, before his death and burial these are these are women who are trying to care for the physical body of Christ and they're doing it in uh, love and trying to be as faithful as possible that doesn't mean that everything they do is perfect but they it is it is from a good place and the problem that these women have is not that they don't believe in the resurrection they do believe in the resurrection Jesus and Martha, right, herself will have a conversation at the death of Lazarus when she, when Jesus tells her about, you know, the resurrection and she says, Lord, I, I know that he will be raised on the last day. I, I know about the resurrection. They believe in the resurrection. They just didn't get it. That, uh, Like Jesus told Martha, he is the resurrection and the life. And that Jesus himself is going to be raised from the dead, not just Lazarus, not just the, you know, the Jairus's daughter, not just the the widow's son, but Jesus will raise himself from the dead. And for us, that's hard because we know we grew up with the story. We know how it turns out and all of those things, but we're not in that different of a position than they are we believe in the resurrection of the dead we believe that our loved ones will be raised from the dead we believe that god will do those things and will heal them and still yet we struggle to believe sometimes that god would help us in a more immediate and temporal sense it doesn't mean that we don't believe or have faith in god we just it's hard and for jesus nothing had ever been done like this before Oh, sure, there'd been resurrections in the Old Testament, but nobody had ever raised themselves from the dead. And yeah, the Gospels say that, you know, the, the Father raised him from the dead, but he also, in another sense, raises him, or in another place, it says he raises himself from the dead. And just because these these things happen uh, together, they happen in, in communion, uh, doesn't doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus is going to raise himself from the dead. And so so when these women come they're coming with these spices and they're they they come and they find that the stone is rolled away from the tomb and when they enter it says they didn't find the body of jesus and they were wondering about this um or they were marveling at this um they they were hopeful they were scared they knew something was up is this a miracle is it something because this is again it's very unusual like the stone is rolled away from the tomb, but it's not just that the stone is stone is like open. Like the stone is rolled away; it's out of its groove. It's you know it's laid flat. Like this is not a, a casual opening for some sort of maintenance. Like the stone has been rolled mm. away, and when they go in, what do they see? I mean, they would have seen the same thing that Peter saw, right? Like the the linens are there, and and folded up or, or whatever. Like. Like if they were grave robbers, like they wouldn't have left it like that. Like what is what is going on? Why? Like the the stone was sealed. How could this possibly be? Mm. And then it says, then while they were while they were wondering at this, suddenly two men in clothes appeared in gleaming uh, like lightning and stood beside them. And these women, they they were frightened. They bowed down their faces, as normally happens when angels appear, because again, angels are terrifying. And the men who are angels say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, when you hear that, that sounds like a rebuke. And maybe a little bit. But it's not. It's not. It's the first announcement, really, that Christ is risen. Even before they say he is not here, he has arisen. Why do you look for the living one among the dead? And they could focus on why do you look among the dead they could focus on that rebuke but if you're paying attention there's this wonderful amazing sort of statement of the gospel Mm -hmm. um and i think i think this happens to us a lot um i think i think it's really easy for us to hear law i think we all believe we have faith we know in what those things are but it's still super easy for us to get caught up in focusing on ourselves the things that we've done wrong, the questions that we have—either does God still love us? Is He mad at us? And we we miss the gospel that is implicit to those those statements. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. No, that's that's that is beautiful. Good news: the living one is not among the dead because He has risen, and that gospel announcement will continue. We're going to take that break, though. You're listening to. Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about the resurrection of our Lord from Luke 24 with Pastor Sean Linnell. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
0: This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO Shareathon is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone, and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the Donate button, or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere.
1: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, April 18th. We're studying Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12 with Pastor Sean Linnell. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, prior to the break, we were talking about the words that the angel speaks to the women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Not so much a rebuke, but rather an announcement of the gospel. The resurrection has happened. Jesus is not dead. He is the living one. And the angel continues by saying, "He's not here. He's risen." Keep pushing us forward in what the angel says to these women.
2: It's such an it's such an amazing uh, an amazing message, an amazing, wonderful thing to testify to. But I I do have a question. How many angels were there?
1: This says two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So there's got to be at least two, right?
2: Yeah. Well, and it's it's sort of an interesting thing, because if you read the different Gospels, not every, I want to say like every detail as you're reading through seems to match up. I think this causes a lot of consternation with people but it's it's really unnecessary. Remember that each of these gospels are telling the account for a reason and that doesn't mean that they're going to change facts or they're going to change things but they are going to highlight certain things to bring out a point. And again that's not that's not dishonest it's not manipulative it's just that you know space is scarce. And it's not here to tell you uh, like a novel, all of the things it's, these are used to teach, right? And even John will tell you that, right? There's many more things that happen that are not written here, but these things are written so that you may believe. And so when Luke records it this way, we have to ask why. Um, So is it one angel or is it two angels? Well, it's two. Luke says that it's two here. And in the other accounts where it says the angel said, the idea there is not that there weren't two, it's just that the angels weren't speaking in stereo. And so the other gospels are really only referring to the angel that spoke, and then the other one is there. But why would there be two angels if you only need one, in essence, to, to give that message? Much the same way that we began by talking about the sabbath command and being in the old covenant this is an old testament necessity because you need how many witnesses right two or three right Mm. so having a single angel there like that's great and the message is is still spoken but is it trustworthy you need the witness of two or three i think That there has been some speculation regarding, oh, the two men in Dazzling White and the Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. Are these two men actually Moses and Elijah? Uh, Hmm. no. 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 No, they're not. But I think that it is absolutely intentional that we are meant to think of the Transfiguration because the Transfiguration was a preview of this. So if your mind drifts back to the Dazzling Appearance of the Transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah being there that's on purpose but no this isn't Moses and Elijah this is angels and when angels appear unless you are seeing you know beasts and winged things when Gabriel appears he appears as a man yeah, yeah. and so that's that's how they appear not that angels are these you know women angels and baby angels and whatever else it's just that this is how they appear and so that this is important you have you have the two angels that are there and they are they are together this witness this old testament witness that is important and that is the message that they give he is not here he has arisen remember how he told you when he was still with you in galilee um they're not just referring to galilee right galilee is sort of where he started and perhaps this is better rendered as remember how he told you all the way back when you were in galilee and has been telling you ever since He's been telling you this since you started, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Although, interestingly enough, Jesus himself doesn't say in the Gospels that he's going to be crucified, right? He just says that he's going to be killed. But, such as it is, they're not wrong. And perhaps this is what Jesus said in another place, since by their own words, he was telling them this all the time. And then it says, then they remembered his words. And it's, it's more than that. It's more than just they remembered as if they forgot. They were like, you know what? I remember him saying something. I just don't remember what it was. But now that you mention it, it was probably that. Like, no, that's not, that's not what's going on here. It's more than that. When they remembered his words, they are remembering his words in a completely new light and context. It's all of the puzzle pieces are falling into place now. Everything makes sense. Oh, he wasn't speaking figuratively he wasn't talking thematically like he was talking about himself like this is what all the promises were this is what all of the parables were about this is everything that he ever did was about this this is this is why this is why those things you remember when he was doing that thing and and, and we were like freaked out and we didn't really understand why he was doing that because it seemed kind of weird but i mean he's jesus and do whatever he wants. this makes sense now it makes sense why he did that And so that's what it means when it says that they remembered his words. And I absolutely look forward um, with with great anticipation the day when Jesus returns and we remember all of the things that we already know, but just don't understand. Hmm. Things that we couldn't, the things that I couldn't even tell you, because if I knew what they were, then I'd know, but I don't. I'm sure there's lots of things in the Bible or lots of things about Jesus and what he's done that. I just, don't. I just, I'm not either smart enough or faithful enough or whatever to get. Like, I just don't get it. Mm. Yep. And, and this sort of remembering, this revealing is, is really only by, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm.
1: Yeah. What a, what a glorious day that will be to remember those things that we knew that we'd been taught, but to have them fall into place, as you said, what a, what a beautiful thing. Before we, we go too far from this, I, I want to go back to something I think you were talking about toward the mm. beginning, how the, there's a progression here in Luke 24 and the way that that they they see the truth and here the angel focuses particularly on the words of jesus whereas like on the road to emmaus jesus is also going to bring in what the what the law and the prophets say and then the psalms come into play in the, the final text so the focus on jesus words in particular here why is that important
2: oh that's right yeah it's this it's this great progression that we have in the in the three stories like you said you have this testimony of the angels, as it were, to the words of Jesus, and then specifically about the resurrection. Um, so let's real quick before we before we break down that progression, um, I just want to point out that their faith is not complete and does not work absent the resurrection. Mm. The the resurrection is required for anything that is our faith or might be described as that to make sense or be of any value. This is absolutely the conversation that Paul is having in, in 1 Corinthians 15, um, where if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we are to be pitied above all people. And when we talk about our faith, it's yes, Jesus died and that he rose again. The The idea that, that Jesus died is indispensable, but if you don't have Jesus rising from the dead, you don't have the Christian faith. The bodily resurrection is, is the linchpin, the thing that fulfills everything and gives us that faith. Likewise, when you die, your soul goes to heaven. That is a beautiful and wonderful thing, right? Today you'll be with me in paradise and all that stuff. That's really great. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus does not come again and make a new heaven and a new earth and raise us from the dead, then that faith you have of going and being in heaven is not the Christian faith. It's only part of it. I'm not saying that like it's you know terrible and you're all going to hell. What I'm saying is is that it's that is you are missing something. Um, and that something is not trite. It's it's the actual promise that Christ has made. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to be in heaven and float around as a spirit. I don't know how to see without eyes or hear without ears or touch without a body. I'm sure it's gonna be paradise because Jesus said so. But I know, I know what it is to hug my grandfather. And I long for the day when Christ raises him from the grave so I can do that again. And so when you, when you come back here to this, and you talk about the progression uh, that happens in these three resurrection accounts, it's very much the same as how our faith is given and built. Because these angels, these angels, these men that bring the words of Christ to you that he is risen, how is that anything except what we have? How is that not the pastors who preach to you, the people, the the men and women, the angels, the messengers of God who bring the gospel to you that he has risen? And there is great faith in that, right? There is faith there. And then when you take a look at the next account, right? Christ is there even though you can't really recognize or see him, but where? Where is he revealed? There in the meal and so not only do you grow in your understanding of the scriptures you grow in your understanding of the promise from the beginning and the law and the prophets but there in the meal what meal Ah, the emmaus meal with the breaking of bread yeah that's that's the lord's supper that's the sacrament and then what do you have in sort of that final revelation of the resurrection where christ himself christ himself revealed and in the body stands before you man Does Christ not promise to do just that? And of course, that is our hope and that's the thing that we await for. What does Christ do? He sends us out as angels, and by that I mean messengers, to to start that whole progression again for somebody else who needs to see it, just as he did for those disciples. And so that, that progression that you see in Luke 24, like that's, it's pivotal because that's us, that's us. And then as it leads into Acts and the story of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church, that's, that's us. That's not just them back then, that's, that's us. And so it's, it's, it's really exciting and it's, and it's, it's intimate and personal if, if you have eyes and ears to hear and see it.
1: Now, the angels speak to the women. And they remember the words and all that entails, as you said. And then they already begin this job of being an angel, of being a messenger. They go back. They go back to the 11 and to the rest and begin to relate. We get some information about who these women were. Luke names several of them. And then the reaction of the 11. Tell tell us now about the women turning with the good news and then the way that the disciples begin to react.
2: Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, this isn't that wonderful. When they come back from the tomb, right, they told all these things to the 11. And, of course, it's 11 because uh, Judas isn't there anymore and they haven't replaced him. And, and then it says and it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them. Well, could Luke have named everybody? Yeah. But he uh, could he have named nobody? Could he have just said the women, right, as he did in the beginning? Yeah. So why does he name specifically three. Well, two or three witnesses. And so naming these witnesses right, is is a way to show that what the disciples received by all accounts was a faithful Jewish Old Testament account and witness that they should have believed. And so also then uh, really just sort of interesting is Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Uh, Mary Magdalene in a certain sense is really kind of the ringleader of, of the women in a similar way to how Peter is the the de facto spokesman of the disciples. And that's not that's not an official rank. Like I'm not trying to make any sort of, you know, statement like that. Because even with Peter, there was, you know, Peter and then there was also James and John and everything else. But um but that's that's really again the the position that I think Mary Magdalene holds. And it's not that, you know, there was anything untoward or anything with her and Jesus. You know, just like there wasn't with you know, John the disciple that Jesus loved, but Mm. But she does play a pretty prominent role there, and so they go and tell the apostles, right, the disciples. But, but they didn't believe them because their words seemed to them like nonsense or like an idle tale, and that has to be uh, mildly, it has to be mildly insulting. <laughs> it's slightly <laughs> condescending. Um, and you know what? That's okay. Don't don't get upset about that as if, like, oh, well, these women don't or, you know these these disciples don't respect the women. No, 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 no. I get it. But the thing that really like they're getting an egg on their face about this because they're hearing the gospel, right? And instead of hallelujah, Christ is risen, they're like, eh, Have you been drinking? Mm. Like, this is this is not okay. And the disciples, even more so than the women, they should have known. They, of all people, should have known. Were they not there in the room with Christ when you know he foretold of this? Were they not with him? But Peter, was Peter and James and John not privy to see things that even the other disciples weren't? And yet they didn't. They didn't believe these women. And, uh, and it's not that they lacked faith, they just couldn't. And perhaps this harkens back to the, the truth that we know that faith is only by the Holy Spirit. Um, but they just didn't, and yet it wasn't—it wasn't the case that they didn't want to believe. They did want to believe. They just couldn't bring themselves to believe something so amazing, something so fantastic. Peter, however, because it's well, it's always Peter, Peter, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Peter got up and he was like, "Listen, there." They say that it's true, and it's fantastic. There's an easy way to figure it out. Let's just go see. And so Peter goes, and Luke doesn't record that John goes also, but I I think it's just so endearing that John, when he's writing his gospel, and he's looking at Luke's, and he's like, hey, you didn't say that I went. Look, I beat him to the tomb in a race, (laughs) and I am going to make sure people know so but Peter, Peter goes, and he runs the tomb, and bending over, he sees the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened, or marveling at what he saw, and again, Peter is so close, he's hoping he wants to believe, he's looking for a reason to believe he wants to, but he just can't, he just can't because it's too much, it's too fantastic, it's too big, you know, and. And I have to have some sympathy for him because what the Lord promises to all of us is so amazing, so big. I want to believe it. I claim to believe it. I confess it. But it's sometimes so hard. It's so hard to hold on to because I can't see it. The world, the world is right there for me to see. The, the loss of loved ones, the death, the suffering, the, the wars, the struggle. My own sins are right there and easy to see. But the promise, the promise, man, that's just too good to believe. And you know if it sounds too good to, too good to be true. But the Lord says that it is true. It is. And, and how does he, how does he build that faith in us? He sends men to proclaim the gospel to proclaim the truth that Christ taught, that the Lord taught to us with his very own words. And then the Lord continues to come to us over and over, strengthening our faith through word and sacrament, revealing to us and helping us grow by his Holy Spirit, the testament testament of his word from the very beginning, the plan that was always there. And the Lord does promise to come again. He says that he himself will come and stand before us raise the dead make his dwelling place with us and on that day on that day all eyes will see and all knees will bow and all doubt will be cast aside forever for we will indeed be with the lord jesus christ who is risen mm.
1: he is risen indeed hallelujah you know i mean it, I, I appreciate what you're saying here about you know it, it's hard to believe this and the the difficulty that the women had and that Peter and the apostles had in in believing this and to to call it an idle tale or nonsense talk. I mean, that's, first of all, just as you said, people just don't People don't rise from the dead, and they certainly don't raise themselves from the dead. I mean, these, these things are hard to believe. No wonder they they think it's idle talk. And it, it strikes me that in in this text, you know, you you really you have to keep reading the rest of the gospel, which we will do, of course, because in this text, Jesus Himself doesn't show up bodily. I mean, that's oh. that's still to come. And so, I mean, you need the rest, and, and the Lord graciously gives the rest. He does appear to them to show them who he is. He is, in fact, alive. He reveals himself to them in these number of ways. From this text, just thinking through what's what's here in this text for us then, well, it is, I, I mean, I go back at least to the words of the angel to the women, remember what he told you and, and how then they do. that. That when I look around and all that I see— it doesn't match up with what Jesus is saying. It is those words that do provide certainty that I, I need to come back to time and time again. And as you said, thanks be to God that he sends me angels. He sends me messengers that proclaim that word so that when I, I can't remember them or, or the words seem too impossible to believe or an idle tale and nonsense that there's somebody there right in my ear saying, no, no, no the word is true remember what jesus said and I, I mean i think that's at least just this text that's where this text keeps pulling us back go back to what jesus said remember from the beginning he's been telling you it's true he didn't lie he really is alive
2: it's it's important and i think in a in a a way for 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 each of us because we're going to experience hardship. We're going to experience tragedy. We're going to be in a position that is pretty analogous to these women who are mourning and who are in other ways hopeless without Christ. We're going to have friends and loved ones who are suffering. And when when we try to comfort them, with what do you comfort them? Because you're not going to have answers as to why You're not. And when you try to offer answers as to why, and you say something like, well, God has a plan, I know you're trying to help them. You're not helping them because you know what the plan is. So don't tell them that God has a plan and then leave that be. And don't offer platitudes of, you know, something like, well, you know, God needed another angel or something else that is really untrue and unhelpful be that angel and that messenger remind them of the promises that god did make remind them of what christ did do when someone is struggling and they're wondering whether or not god loves them because their life is falling apart and maybe god is punishing them or has abandoned them because of their sins you don't have to tell them oh you're not that bad or whatever you say listen Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for all of those sins. And God promises to love you and to forgive you. And God doesn't lie, even when we're unfaithful. Again, when somebody dies, when somebody, you lose a love, when you lose a loved one. I know that this hurts. And I'm here with you. You don't have to suffer alone. Christ promised to raise the dead. We will see them again. And we pray each and every day for the Lord to come again to stand before us to raise the dead and to bring to completion everything that has been so that there is a new heaven and a new earth where sin and death are no more and we live in resurrected bodies with our risen Lord and Savior. That is our hope and stay. Be, be, be that angel, that messenger to them because those are the words of Christ that will bring to remembrance those things that he has said to give us faith, comfort, and hope that leads to everlasting life.
1: Pastor Linnell, we got about four minutes left on the morning. As you reflect on this text concerning our Lord's resurrection, the good news announced by the angel to the women and how they carried that to the apostles. Give us the good news. Why You, you mentioned this, that this is, this is the linchpin. This is what, what matters. Give us this good news of Christ's resurrection, the central thing that Jesus has done for our salvation.
2: Jesus Christ, the Word of God, made flesh was born he was conceived and he was born and he lived a perfect life he endured the temptations of the devil and he lived his life without using his his amazing power and ability as god the son of god to serve himself but to serve others in in their suffering to give them food to heal them because he cares about us and in ways that we could never live a perfect life and sinful life christ did he did on our behalf And even though Christ cares about forgiving sins and a resurrection to come, he still cares for us even now, providing for the things that we need, comforting us when we are hurt, when we're scared, when we're anxious, when we're lonely. And the Lord went to the cross and died there, even though he was innocent, to pay for our sins. He did that so that our sins might be forgiven. And there is no sin, nothing that you have done, nothing that you could do, that will be greater than him and that will be greater than his sacrifice. For all of our arrogance and all the ways we think of ourselves, no sin is greater than what he has done. But not even that, not even that is where it ends. For our Lord Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, as he had told us all the way from the beginning, from his beginning of his ministry in Galilee, as he had foreshadowed through the law and the prophet and the Psalms the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, breaking and destroying the power of death. And because he has risen, we shall rise also. We have been buried with him in a a death like his through a baptism, and we will be raised in a resurrection like his. This is our hope and stay. Not just that Christ has come, not just that God loves you, not even just that he died for you, but that he rose from the dead and that now death has no hold over us. Our Lord will come again. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. He will raise all the dead and give eternal life to those with faith in him. And we will live where death and pain and sin are no more with the Lord himself as our light. And it shall be so because he is risen.
1: He is risen indeed. Pastor Sean Linnell is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska, helping us today with Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. Pastor Linnell, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas share is coming later this week here on KFUO, beginning on Thursday, April 21st, and going through Saturday, April 23rd. You have the opportunity to partner with us at KFUO in the outreach of Sharing Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Please join us on those three days for special programming and an opportunity to join in supporting this worldwide outreach of KFUO. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.